Hi, and welcome to episode two of Live in the Know. It is actually a continuation of episode one. We are excited to continue our conversations with Amy Weil and Yitz Magenze. They've been extraordinarily helpful answering a ton of questions, and we have a bunch more questions for them that they are going to be answering. So hopefully this will answer all of your questions, but please reach out because all we wanna do is make sure that you know what's going on and keep you updated so that you too can live in the know. All of us work in all different areas, all different towns, all different counties. Um, Amy, are you seeing any differences between the towns, cities, counties, or is everyone kind of following the same approach? Um, as far as the counties go right now, they seem to be pretty similar. We're seeing a little bit of difference at the registries as to what they will and will, won't do. You know, little stuff like, can you hand deliver documents? Can you mail them in? Things like that. Nothing that's really causing a huge... When it comes to the cities and towns, we're seeing some differences on the, you know, what offices are doing as far as water reading, smokes, and um, inspections for new construction. So we are seeing some differences, but um, we're just staying in touch with those towns. You know, we're um, just like Yitz's office, you know, we'll go anywhere in the state of Massachusetts, so we're all over the place. And the brokers have been really, really helpful to us in uh, understanding what's going on in their cities that they really focus on. So I've actually relied a lot on the real estate brokers to help me um, keep in touch with that town. So if I have a deal in Wellesley, you know, the brokers, you know, will know what's going on usually before I do. And then if I have a deal in Somerville where I may not do as much, the broker there seems to really have their, their finger on the pulse and be able to bring me up to speed pretty quickly. So we found the brokers are our best resource when it comes to the cities and towns. And again, right now, the counties are pretty similar, not anything materially different. So I want to shift gears just uh, a little bit um, and probably briefly touch on this. But it's, we're talking about everything with buying and selling a house and getting to the closing table. There is also a closing procedure for refinances. And while we as real estate agents are not necessarily always involved in that, you guys are. Um, right. Any differences, anything worth touching upon in that regard? Uh, just as you're saying, you want to spend a little bit of time, there really isn't much time. It, that's certainly business as usual. The okay. only difference is, as we talked about logistically, do you, are you going to have them sign in the parking lot? You're going to have them sign behind the window. You're going to have them sign in your office with precautions. Will this remote notary, uh, online notarization come down the pike? That's the only difference. And um, as we all touched upon earlier, uh, the only, I, I would assume, unknown you know, situation would be the appraisal. Um, as Amy pointed out right now, things are going as planned. Um, I know there's some lenders, in fact, there's going to be a webinar tomorrow. One of our lenders is putting on uh, their goal. Now, it's not going to be for Massachusetts. They're a national lender, but their goal is to have no human contact for any closing, including the appraisal. I'm curious how they're going to do that. But um, I do also know the secondary market, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, is loosening up their uh, guidelines in terms of lenders allowing for drive-by appraisals on some uh, circumstances. So for the most part, people should be taking advantage of the lower rates. I know they popped up last week. I understand uh, that they went down a little. I, 
lawyers, uh, and maybe Amy will disagree with me, I'm the last person to ask about what the rates are, because if I knew what the rates were doing, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I'd be a day trader making a lot of money and from my computer in the Bahamas. That's right. Uh, we don't know what the rates are on a day-to-day -day basis, but we do you know, hear from our lenders. I will say the only thing that we've done a little different is in communication with our, um, our partners, our loan officers, is just asking them, and it sounds like they've been able to accommodate longer locks. So where it used to be they would lock an interest rate for 45 to 60 days, we're now seeing 75 day locks. And so what we're hoping is when it comes time to close on these refinances, we'll be beyond this and be able to, you know, I don't know that we'll ever get really beyond this, but we'll be beyond it to the point where maybe, you know, we can make it a little bit easier for people to, to sign these documents. So again, we're asking our lenders to try if they can to lock the rates out a little bit further. You know, my biggest concern right now is we're staggering our workforce. So we're trying not to have any more than two or three people in the office at any time with everybody else working from home. So that puts a lot of the paralegal load on myself and some of the other attorneys. And um, so if we can push the refis out a couple of weeks even, I think it'll make a huge difference. And knowing that we have more time on the back end with these new loans that are getting locked, we'll take some of the pressure off because we want everyone to get the rates. Um, like it says, if, if I were to refinance, it just means more work for me. So it probably means I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have been incredibly helpful, um, have given a lot of great information. Um, we're going to kind of ask the general question first to you, Amy. You know, do you have any additional advice you know, for our buyers and sellers or, and our listeners? Um, the best pieces of advice I have uh, would probably be stay calm. Um, I think, uh, yes, you can probably uh, add on to this, but I think in the kind of work that we do as real estate attorneys, uh, we probably spend maybe, it's like an 80-20 rule, 80% of the time as uh, psychologists and 20% of the time <laughs> on the legal work. Right. And that was true even before this. Um, so maybe it's like 95-5 now. Um, you know, just really urging my clients to stay calm. I'm trying to talk to all of them. I'm trying to get to all of them. I'm, I'm trying to be the calm voice that they need to hear um, and, you know, be confident in what we're telling them. But at the same time, making them understand this is fluid. You know, like I said, on the smoke detector uh, order, one day it was one way and the next day it was the next. So we're really, you know, calm, patience and communicate. Those are really the things that need to happen right now. And continuing to work with all our partners, whether that's the real estate brokers, whether that's the lenders or the other attorneys. Um, it's just, it's super important. And I think, you know, my office and Yitz's office have had a long-standing relationship over, I don't know, 30 plus years. And that just pays back in so many ways when we're in a situation like this. And I've explained that to my clients that, you know, our relationship with the other attorneys out there has made a huge difference. And the fact that over the years, um, you know, Gilmartin McGinsey, the firm, has always been respectful and amazing to work with. And because of that, when we're in a situation like this, you know, it just makes it so much easier on us and, and is really for our clients' benefit. So I think, you know, please stay calm. Please understand that we know what you're going through. We understand. We're trying to communicate. Give us a little bit more patience than you might because, you know, getting back to everyone's a little bit harder but we're here and we're working and we're closing. And for the most part, it's a little bit unusual, but it's really as business as usual. 
I, I can only say I'm inspired. That was <laughs> that was wonderful and right back at you, Amy. Oh, thanks. Well, let, I want to say, Amy, first of all, you hit on a couple of things. As real estate agents, we often feel like psychologists as well for our clients. So they're going to all of us, I think. Um, but the relationships we find are really important uh, in our uh, field as well. So I want to shift that yet. What about the advice for other real estate agents or even lenders? What do you have for us? Well, uh, exactly. You, you should be doing the realtor should be doing the same thing. Amy described what we're doing. Um, uh, I, but I would get into less detail. Uh, I've always mentioned to real estate agents, your primary job is to surround yourself with a team that you can trust. And that means a lawyer, an inspector, a lender. Um, and rely on those individuals to deal with their particular component of the situation. You're the quarterback as the realtor and just keep people calm and moving forward, just as Amy pointed out. As far as the lenders go, they're going to, in my mind, they need to get into a little more of the technical stuff with their clients. Um, we touched upon a number of things, Amy and I. Um, the, for instance, the, the uh, smoke detector certificate. Uh, as Amy pointed out, lenders are being good about communicating that. They need to communicate that with their closing attorney and with the buyer, their borrower. Um, I do think, again, as Amy pointed out, rate lock is huge. Uh, lenders should communicate that, and buyers are, or borrowers on their refinance should be very, very aware of when their rate lock happens. Um, you know, in fact, as Amy pointed out earlier about everybody in our community working together, the, the, the clause that we're all working on together regarding this, as Amy called it, um, deals with actually rate lock extensions. Normally, um, it, it's, a, it's a battle over who's going to pay for that rate lock, depending on whose problem was, why the closing's being delayed. Well, this it's neither. So the, the proposed language that's being sent to all of us is basically calls for let the buyer and the seller split those. So, but the rate lock itself is important. Um, and the, the gap coverage that uh, both Amy and I mentioned that we would be able to, in the worst scenario where the registry completely shuts down, no employees, what happens? We can still close even though we can't record under this gap coverage. The gap refers to the gap from the day that the registry closed down to the day you're actually able to put things on record. If there anything impacting the title occurs during that time, the insurance will cover that gap. So some lenders accept it, some lenders don't. Uh, I will be candid. Normally, I like to work with local banks, smaller banks. Um, they're more typically more flexible about uh, uh, various things in the underwriting process. Um, well, in this case, I, I still love working with them, but the dreaded big box lenders, ironically, are used to this gap coverage. It sounds very crazy and unique, uh, that we're, but it's only unique to us in Massachusetts. A number of states routinely for years have had gap coverage for various reasons. Either they can't get things on record or it happens to be in New York. I can't understand this, but they will close, actually go to record, 
but they can't do the update of the title exam for because the registries are backed up. The gap coverage covers that. It also could be trouble getting things on record in New York, gap coverage. So gap coverage will not be new to a number of certainly the national lenders, but that's the important thing for the lender to communicate with their buyer borrower and with the closing attorney. Well, I think that you guys have given us such great advice. And um, I think we all kind of feel the same way that patient and teamwork and relationships, as well as just, you know, listening to our clients and just helping them, you know, move forward. Um, but we really appreciate, you know, you guys and everything you're doing and showing up to work every day and keeping the process going. It's, it's incredibly helpful for, for everybody. Um, our last question for you um, is, I don't know if there's any conversations that you guys can share, you know, in general, um, the discussions that you've had with, with clients and how you've resolved things, you know, with, with everything going on right now. Um, Amy, I don't know, we could start with you. Sure. Um, so, you know, obviously, attorney-client privilege, so no specific conversations, but um, certainly, um, you know, reminding clients that, you know, it will, it will turn around. You know, people are like, oh, am I buying at the peak? You know, should I not close because this house will never be worth that amount of money? You know, we've been through these situations before. You know, 2008 is a great example. Even on 9-11, you know, clients who were supposed to close that day, you know, walking away from a deposit on that day, you know, it will come back. Rates are still amazing. These are still uh, great cities and towns to live in. They always will be. Um, so you just have to remember that, um, you know, be patient. It, it's gonna, it's gonna come back. It's, we're gonna get through this if we all work together. Um, and try to be optimistic with them. And I'm just, I'm really trying. And it's not to say that there are some days around 7:30 at night when I'm having that last conversation with a client that, you know it's hard it's really hard to to be optimistic and to to pull yourself together and be like okay and um but i really am optimistic i i've been here i grew up around here and i've seen you know the market up and down so um i'm encouraging my clients to stay the course i'm encouraging them to you know uh, if they haven't signed a pns to be smart about the provisions that we put in there um, and Yitz and I, you know, both have the same problem that one minute we're talking out as a buyer's attorney and the next minute we're talking as right. a seller's attorney. So the fact that these organizations such as the Real Estate Bar Association or other organizations are promulgating some language that we can use is helping us to better deal with that. So we have some fair language that we can say to the buyer and seller, look, this is fair. And so I don't have to argue for a buyer, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning and then argue in a different way at 10.30 for a seller. That would be ridiculous. So, you know, these organizations are really helping us with that. But again, my conversations across the board are if a client has already signed and is, is got to close, then we're going to close and it's business as usual. If they haven't signed, you know, if this is the path they went down and this is the house they want, then let's get it done and let's protect you. I actually will keep this concise because I, be, I agree and confirm everything, everything Amy just said, period, except for one little thing. I'm sure she would be happy 
and I know I would be happy, but I'm sure she would too, if her last conversation ended as free at 30. <laughs> Other than that, I agree with everything. Thanks, yes. Well, first, I want to apologize. My door opened in the back. I think one of my kids just uh, might have just snuck in here. But uh, <laughs> the, the joy of working from home. I want to ask you guys one quick non-real estate uh, question. And what we were going to get to, we can't ask what we wanted to ask because I know you don't ever cook your own food. Uh, I was curious. <laughs> that is, you guys that have, is true. <laughs> I, well, I was curious what, what, you know, with this extra time and extra time at home, has there been anything creative? What's the most creative thing you've cooked or most fun thing you've cooked? But uh, how about um, what's your go-to takeout right now? Yeah, what are you guys I, doing? I, I could tell you what my uh, go-to takeout is. Uh, I, I do I do have plenty of provisions at home, uh, but um, I'm trying to support local businesses here. I feel for the uh, small restaurant and uh, and how many people are going to be impacted. It it weighs on me uh, because I do avail myself of these places on an ongoing um, uh, ongoing time. So I've been taking out. I've been eating at home. I have a feeling uh, the one thing that's going to uh, we are all going to have in common is I'm sure everybody's eating a lot of things that they wouldn't normally eat, a lot of chips and candy. And because you're home, you got nothing, you know, takes away the anxiety. Who knows what it's feeding? But I just caution people, you can take a walk in the fresh air, stay away from people, but uh, try to be uh, optimistic, as Amy pointed out, and, and uh, just go about the business. Um, I'm pretty fortunate. Uh, my husband's working at home right now, so he's been making sure that there's dinner when I get home, um, no matter what time that is. So that's been really nice. Um, anyone who knows me knows I am not a good cook. I have a little bit of tension issues, so I tend to burn everything I try. Um, I'm not a good baker. I actually tried to bake some zucchini bread the other day, and uh, it was disastrous. So um, it's not one of my uh, better traits. Uh, we are also trying a lot of the local restaurants and um, you know the deli around the corner they're doing a great job at curbside pickup so you know really trying to support them like we have over the years so um, you know trying to do our best for the community and support those businesses um, while they can and um, the biggest thing that I am glad I have is my Peloton because um, <laughs> that has like saved my life so uh, uh, I can see friends on it and I can get my workouts in. And yesterday they added dance classes on Peloton. Mm. So, you know, life is still good. You, you lost me at Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> or workout. I'm with we, you. I'll yes. have to meet you on the Peloton. Woohoo, Trace. Don't get me your leaderboard name. I'm on it every night. That's the one thing that I haven't given up during this That's craziness. Great. It's really my mental health. That's amazing. Well, I will tell you, um, my kids have made mention that one of the worst things about being home or stuck at home is that my having to eat mom's cooking. So um, <laughs> I can tell you that's certainly not my strength. I'm trying. Um, we have been doing a bunch of takeout, um, but um, you know, I, maybe I'll get better at it. But I am starting to cook almost every day now. <laughs> wow, good. Well, we've got a freezer full of basically meat and frozen pizzas. Uh, so one <laughs> or the other is good for me. But I can't echo what you said strong enough. Uh, it's so important for supporting these local businesses because it's, it's tough right, right now, especially a lot of these restaurants and other uh, shops. So 
thank you guys for doing your part on that. And also, as Tracy said, thank you guys so much for joining us um, and for giving your insight. We really appreciate having the two of you uh, so we can get, you know, I know you guys have very similar perspectives, but it's great because really there's just so much uh, confusion and there's so many questions out there and to have uh, two great resources like yourself is just invaluable. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. Happy right, to do it. And just everyone stay safe. You too. And I hope the rest of your day goes well and hopefully it will end before 730. <laughs> All right, you guys, take right. care. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you both bye -bye. so much. Bye. Have a great bye. one. Bye. 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 Bye, Amy. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Live in the Now. We are excited to be coming to you from the comfort of our own homes. We were gonna be doing this in a studio a few weeks from now, but we wanted to bring it to you sooner. We have a lot of pertinent and important information uh, from people within your community that we think will be really helpful to our friends, family, clients, and listeners. So let's get started. We're gonna be talking to mortgage brokers, we're gonna be talking to attorneys, small businesses, nonprofits, hospitals, doctors, you name it. So we will be sure to bring you all the updated information, whether you're in a real estate transaction or not, all of this information is gonna be really helpful. And we hope that we can also provide, you know, a lot of help to people in need with what's going on right now. So Tracy's right, we are truly in the comfort of our home. Uh, so please bear with us, but we really did think this was a perfect time and really important to get this pertinent info out to you, as she said. Uh, and what better way to start out with two of the most respected, uh, most reputable real estate attorneys in the industry in the area with Yitz McGinsey of Gilmartin McGinsey and Amy Weil of Kurtzman and Weil, who have done a lot of deals with a lot of agents. Uh, we've done a lot of deals with them. They're really really well-respected people. Um, and they've just got a lot of information in these ever-changing, unique, wild, crazy times. So without further ado, let's have Yitz and Amy help you live in the know. All right, so we have the great Yitz McGinsey and the wonderful Amy Wild on board. Thank you both again for joining us today. Pleasure to be here under the circumstances. Well, look, we're thank doing what we can. Yeah. Amy, thank you. All right, yes, I wanna start with you. There are a lot of people out there who have to move and are afraid with everything going on that they're not gonna be able to close on their purchase or sell their home. What do you experience in the greater Boston real estate world? Well, uh, let me start by generally saying that, frankly, for the most part, I mean, we'll get into more detail, but for the most part, it's, we should assume business as usual. Uh, properties will be able to be sold. Closings will happen under a variety of different circumstances. Uh, but everybody should be prepared at this point for sure to figure that they are going to be finishing their transaction as originally planned. That's great. That's great. We're, we're, we're happy to hear that. Um, to kind of go into a little bit more detail, um, Amy, you know, we know that there's been, you know, some changes and some language that needs to be added to the purchase and sale due to the coronavirus. Can you just explain to our listeners 
you know, what, what is being added and how it affects them? Certainly, Tracy, I'm happy to address the, the question of, you know, where do we stand as far as provisions we are adding to the purchase and sale agreement? And let me say that we are right now not in an excuse delay time. So as Yitz pointed out, we are in fact business as usual. We're in the office, we're safely doing closings. Um, we happen to be doing them in the parking lot, um, but we're following safety measures. But we are putting some provisions into the current purchase and sale agreements that will deal with things like excuse delays should we find ourselves in the situation. Fortunately, right now, the registries are open, um, so recordings are happening. Uh, we're able to do those electronically, as are most firms. Uh, the title insurance companies have uh, addressed the issues with providing what's called gap coverage uh, to allow us to close should the registries not stay open. We hear that movers are out there, banks are open, um, but we do want to have language in there for the what if, and we're all trying to decide what that should look like right now. So it's a bit of a work in progress, but the good news is that for the most part, we all play really nicely together. And I'm hoping that will continue. We've done so for many, many years. And I think it's gonna have to be a situation where that continues and people are gonna have to be a little bit understanding. We're all trying to take the legal approach, but we also have to look at it from a human approach when we're in situations such as this. Well, Amy, that's that like hits it on the head for how uh, Tracy and I certainly feel, and we've we're trying to stress people that we're all in this together, and you know, be human and let's make it, you know, let's work to do what we can together. Um, I'm curious, and yet I'll ask you. There's language that you, as the attorneys, are putting into the purchase and sale agreement, as Amy just mentioned. What should we, as a as a realtor, as a buyer agent? be putting in the offer or as a listing agent be seeking in the initial offer phase? Um, before I address that, I want to echo what Amy said and that this is a time where everybody should be working together. The beauty of real estate generally as an industry is that it's not adversarial. I've had many deals with Amy. It's never viewed as us against them. Everybody's trying to get to the same place. Buyers are trying to buy the property. Sellers want the, the proceeds from that sale. Let's just get everybody there, but everybody needs to be protected. And as Amy pointed out, the what if, and we are working as an industry very closely. I'm on a, uh, where both Amy and I are on a, on, on a number of forums where conveyancers in our business are sharing this language information that Amy was alluding to, to make sure that it's fair for everybody. It's does not have to be one-sided. Um, Amy pointed out uh, that there is the what if that's making its way into the purchase and sale. Um, for the offer to purchase, I, I think that what if should also be in there as well, not in the same detail. My general approach to uh, offers to purchase is I always tell real estate agents to operate under the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid, um, and let the lawyers work out the details. I noticed just, uh, it's either yesterday or the day before uh, MAR, not to push any particular association, but the Mass Association of Realtors came out with a couple of forms, uh, addendums that I think now should be attached to every single offer. One is dealing with the COVID-19 situation. Again, as Amy pointed out, it deals with the what if. Uh, the other major change and uh, that's coming down the pike, I'm sure you'll talk about it in more detail, 
uh, is there's another rider they came out with dealing with how to uh, obtain the smoke detector certificate. Uh, as Amy pointed out, it's uh, uh, movers are moving around. We can register, we can um, record documents at the registry. Uh, the only thing that's happening uh, um, is how to get that smoke detector certificate. And there is a rider for that. I think those two riders alone should be enough uh, for the offer to purchase. Again, don't, no need to get into too much detail. Let the lawyers work that out, but it should be mentioned and addressed. Well, yes, you just did a great lead in to our next question. Thank you. <laughs> Inadvertently. Um, so, Amy, this one's for you. Um, there's a lot that we need to do to get to the closing table. And a few of the big things are you know, the smoke inspection, the final water. And also when there's septic involved, you know, sometimes there needs to be a Title V and sometimes there needs to be a new septic installed. Um, how, how are you dealing with this and how is it kind of being written in? Sure, well, Yitz makes a good point that if the brokers can help us out by putting addendum like Mar has instituted and provided, it's really helpful for those to be in the offer, but then we'll take it from there. It's really important, particularly on this smoke inspection, uh, to really pay attention to the actual language in the governor's order. And it's interesting to note that the governor, you know, this is so fluid that the governor came out with an order, and then I think it was maybe 24, 48 hours later, the order was slightly revised to address some additional concerns that came up. Um, and trying to, you know, listen and understand what changes might need to be made. So the governor's order right now is very, very specific. And so what we're doing is we're putting the exact language from the governor's order right into the purchase and sale agreement. And I think that's what most people are doing. I'm, you know, we have a number of deals with Yitz's office and it just seems really the easiest thing to do since we don't want to be adversarial. Let's just use the language that's out there. Uh, there's three really important points to note from the governor's order. Um, the first one is, is that the parties have to agree in writing to this. Um, and so it does need to be in the purchase agreement the parties have agreed to the new governor's order. Um, the second thing that's important is that um, there's this language that says that immediately the buyer needs to make sure that there are smoke detectors in the home. So it doesn't relieve the parties of having the smoke detectors. It does shift some of the obligation over to the buyer to actually make sure they exist. So maybe upon the walkthrough or a few days before, they can make sure they're there. And we're seeing sellers being great. If they know they don't have enough equipment, they're going out and they're getting it installed so that you know the buyer's all set when they get in there. But that obligation now falls on the buyer. And then the third point that's super important is that after this um, emergency is lifted, it's a, uh, incumbent upon the buyer to then get the smoke inspection done within 90 days. Um, and that's the last piece. The change that the governor made to the order and what we're now seeing and what we're doing is that we're adding a small holdback uh, to the uh, purchase and sale agreement that says, look, seller, put a few hundred dollars aside just in case there is some work that needs to be done to upgrade the smoke or the carbon monoxide detectors um, so that the buyer doesn't get hit with that cost or the cost of the inspection, which in some towns it runs between $25 and $100 per town. So we are now adding this language that the seller will put a small holdback um, aside, and we really haven't gotten any pushback on that. Um, and the last piece um, that isn't in the governor's order, but that everyone needs to be aware of is you then need to get your lender on board. 
So you do need to then say to your lender, look, we're going to follow the governor's order. This is legal. You, you don't need the smoke. You're not doing anything wrong. But making sure that the lender is also on board and that they understand that we're closing under these new guidelines. So we don't want to skip that point um, with our borrowers and with our lenders. And a lot of lenders are ahead of this and they're sending us guidance um, out there. And I'm sure Yitz's office is seeing it as well. You know, we're getting constant emails from the lenders as to what they will and won't allow us to do. So that's making it a little bit easier on us, but just don't want to skip that. As far as the water sewer goes, another thing that, you know, needs to happen before closing. If the town is closed, again, we're just using, you know, holdbacks. Um, the one thing we are asking is that we see a current bill from the seller just to make sure they don't have thousands of dollars in back, you know, water bills or something like that, or some unusually high water bill. But again, a simple holdback agreement, look, when we can get the water red, we'll take a picture of the, um, of the gauge. And some cities and towns are letting us do that, send it into them, and they're just creating the water bill from that. So again, you know, this trusting, this working together, um, the towns are trying to work with us and, and you know, make that happen. So, um, so we're doing that. And on the septic so far, I haven't had any issues. Um, fortunately, a lot of people get ahead of that and get their inspections done. I imagine if the town um, is not working and will not come out and sign off, the Board of Health won't come out and sign off, uh, we'll either have to delay a closing on that or again, you know, holdbacks are a great um, tool that we have to make sure there's money for the buyer and um, that they can close. Again, the most important thing on that will be, you know, lender approval that they will allow us to go forward with the holdback. So along those lines, I actually have a, a deal going on right now where there was a permit that never got closed out. And, you know, I think that your point, Amy, is that it is well taken. Everyone's in this together. And if need be, you know, maybe there'll be a holdback. It can get done after. But it, you know, what about something? Yes, maybe you can answer this. When we're talking about new construction, you've got to get a lot of sign-offs, particularly a certificate of occupancy. Um, is it delayed closings or is there a workaround for this? I personally, I'd be curious what Amy has to say. I would be very, very hesitant to have a client close on new construction without a certificate of occupancy, uh, not just permits closed mm -hmm. out, permits closed out, but if they're closing out permits, they will also issue the certificate of occupancy. Those will go hand in hand. Um, I, when I say very hesitant, that means I would suggest they don't close. Right. Um, I would wait. There is no holdback. Well, if you think about a holdback, as Amy pointed out a, a number of times, there's a number of places and situations where holdbacks are a beautiful thing. They keep progress. They keep the deal moving forward. I just wouldn't know how much to hold back. And it's not a question of, of what, how much money we need to get the certificate of occupancy, a potential nightmare that won't be issued under any circumstance. Not very likely, but it's not a chance I would want a client to take. I'd be curious what Amy has to say. Um, if you give me a moment, I'll chime in on that, Jared. Yeah, please. So um, we have a couple of new construction um, transactions going on this week. And um, fortunately the towns have come out um, and done some final inspections for a certificate of occupancy. But I can't agree with you, it's more about that the certificate of occupancy is one area where you just, there's just no amount of money 
that you could come up with or be able to calculate that would allow you to close and, and really um, it's just one of those things that is going to have to push closings off if the towns aren't willing to come out. Um, the cities and towns are working with us. They're trying to make other arrangements to get the COs done, the certificate of occupancy, and we are seeing that. Um, the other thing that people need to be aware of and probably the biggest problem that we're having is, is that our lenders just say absolutely no. You know, right. they're being pretty flexible with us, but they're just not agreeing to let us close without a certificate of occupancy. And then you have the other issue that if you don't have a certificate of occupancy and you close and the town isn't on board with it and you move in, your client, your buyer client could be facing a very large fine from the town for moving in without a certificate of occupancy. So there's so many issues that come from this that it's really one of those areas that we're going to have to work with the cities and towns. We're possibly going to have to push some closings out. Um, and it's really, um, that's a little bit of a different animal. I, I have to agree, if you don't mind me chiming in again. Um, and there is, again, be curious what Amy has to say. There's one other situation where a holdback just is not appropriate. And that is if there's an open uh, order of conditions on wetlands and we're waiting for a certificate of compliance. Um, I, I've had nightmare situations in my career where years and years ago, I, we used to do a holdback, but I had a situation where it, it was, uh, uh, couldn't get it, couldn't get a certificate of compliance down the road. I even had a situation, this is crazy, but for a closing, the Conservation Commission told us there is a certificate of compliance. We have a copy of it here in our files and they faxed it to us and we relied on that. And it turns out with a certificate of compliance had been issued two years prior, it just was never recorded. And when the Conservation Commission went out to look at the property for whatever reason, after the closing had occurred based on we relied on that certificate of compliance, they saw that the seller had made modifications since that certificate of compliance was issued. And now we have another problem. And of course, the buyers were none too uh, happy. So holdbacks, uh, I don't think do any good with a certificate of occupancy or a certificate of compliance. Otherwise, they are the, they are the magic elixir. And I just want to chime in for a sec. I, both of you, I love that you're adding on top of what each other's saying. And don't, please don't ask permission to do that. We have <laughs> both of you on here because you're both unbelievably valuable resources. So if one of you, we ask one of you a question and the other one's got, uh, wants to chime in, by all means, please do so. We appreciate everything you're each saying. Thanks. Sure. Well, Amy and I have a great relationship. We do. We uh, mutual respect. And we actually like each other. And <laughs> that's like good. <laughs> Listen, we I miss really that. appreciate it because I think, you know, we can probably count on many hands how many times the two of us have called you guys, you know, with, with questions for our clients. So we're very appreciative of the knowledge that you, you give us all. So kind of, you know, moving on, um, you both kind of mentioned a little bit, you know, about the mortgages. Um, you know, Amy, this one's for you. Um, you know, what happens, you know, if the appraisers are no longer able to come out, you know, have they made any modifications, you know, or have there been issues with people that already had a loan commitment, you know, 
with closings not then happening after that? Yeah, so we're seeing that the appraisers can come out right now. Um, they're following, you know, protocol, wearing masks, gloves, all those kind of things. Um, in some cases, a broker might, you know, if it's like a final inspection for something, they might ask for a picture and not go to the property. They'll ask for the property to be vacant of other people. So the appraisers have been great partners during this uh, situation. Uh, and so far, we're seeing them go forward. Uh, I personally haven't seen any banks revoke any commitments. What I have seen as of yesterday, and yes, I'll be very curious if you've seen this, is some of the lenders that we've worked with for many, many years uh, who would normally do a loan uh, for someone who's putting 20% down would do that loan are now not doing that loan unless someone puts 25% down. So some of them we have very long-term relationships with are now going to what's called a 75% LTV limit, which means if you're not willing to put 25% down, they're not going to do the loan. We haven't seen that retroactive. In other words, if someone was approved already, they're not pulling the loan. I'm in touch with you know, those banks and, and they've been, again, you know, everyone's partnering here, everyone's working together, but we have heard that going forward, at least for the short term, they're gonna require more down as part of the um, mortgage process. So um, the other thing I will mention is that we unfortunately have seen, um, you know, a couple of folks get denied who might not otherwise have gotten denied, and that's unfortunate. And we're trying to work through that um, with, uh, you know, in other ways. Um, you know, so you've brought us through. We've talked through the offer. We've talked through the purchase and sale agreement. We've talked through the inspections, the appraisals, the permits, all of that. Um, so now we are getting to the closing. And Amy, you, Amy, you said you're doing some closings in your parking lot. Yes. Yeah, what are you, how are you guys handling closings? What's going on with the registries? Do, buyer, do buyers and sellers, who's going to the closings? Can there be anything without wet signatures? What's the latest on that? Okay, there's a lot of, uh, lot of parts to that uh, question. So let me try to address it. Uh, one at a time. Uh, first of all, in terms of uh, the closing itself, I, I love the idea of the parking lot. <laughs> There's no question about it. Um, the one thing we've instituted, um, we always prided ourselves on, on uh, also being service oriented. And if closings needed to take place at somebody else's office or on a refinance at the borrower's home, while it's not our favorite thing to do, but we would do that, that done, there's a new normal. We will not do closings out of our office. We won't even go to the lender's office, the bank, because um, we can't control that environment. We can control our environment. And we've taken a number of precautions, uh, including I'm sure uh, a lot of people have done this. Number one, only signers. Are, are able to come to a closing to answer one part of your question. No children, no grandparents, no, no, no offense, but no real estate agents, mm -hmm. no lenders, just the signers, period. Um, and we will screen them prior, uh, a couple days before with the typical questions, uh, any symptoms, have you traveled in the last 14 days, etc. Once everybody passes that, we will do the closing here, but if there's any issues, I have no problem, I've told the lawyers here for their safety, we have glass windows 
in our office, let them sign outside, let them sign in their car. I really don't care. We'll just look through the glass. The only thing I would appreciate is if um, th when it comes time to sign the mortgage, the note, anything that needs to be witnessed or notarized, that they come a little closer and do it literally at the window. It's analogous to me doing in the parking lot, same thing. Um, that's appropriate. This is a, it's a new world. Uh, get that done. Um, the one thing that is coming down the pike, um, I think it's a, uh, I'd be curious again what Amy has to say. I don't think it's a question of if, I think it's a question of when. There's an emergency uh, uh, order uh, sitting in front of the governor uh, to allow Amy and myself and people in our industry to use rudimentary FaceTime, Zoom, just like we're doing, um, to do a closing. And it has some, we don't need to get into the details of how to notarize and things of that nature, but that is going to be coming down the pike. It'll be temporary um, and it'll have a, a number of constraints, but the concept is to do no face-to-face -face closing. I personally believe we're still a few years away, but some places in the country are already doing complete remote online notarization. Um, my guess is that'll happen in Massachusetts as the rest of the country goes at some point. But for this emergency, there is this legislation that would allow for that. Um, let's assume for a second to answer the last part of your question, um, somehow we get the documents signed. We still do need wet signatures, by the way. That was one of your components of your question. It's just how to accomplish that. We can try mm -hmm. to do that uh, electronically, you know, through again, FaceTime, if this bill passes, I believe it will pass, but I don't know if it'll be today, tomorrow, next week, hopefully very soon. Um, it just passed, I believe yesterday in New Hampshire, a similar bill and, and New York. It's, it's only logic that will follow suit. As far as the registry goes, as Amy talked about earlier, it, it's business as usual. The registries are open, open on a limited basis. The, for instance, no more closings in the registry. Public's not allowed in the registry. Not even all the registry workers are allowed to work in the registry. They're on a very small skeleton crew. But one of the, one of the employees there is, is their sole purpose is to take these electronic recordings that Amy talked about. We can now record documents electronically. We always had that capability. There's reasons why some people always took advantage of it and other people didn't. Again, that could be a topic for a whole nother podcast. But suffice it to say, we are able to do that and we are doing that. And that, so it's business as usual. Go to record, here's your keys, everything's fine. Um, and again, as Amy pointed out earlier, there, they, we've even gone a little farther in the event that the registry completely shuts down, not even those essential workers are allowed there, we can still close without going to record at all under this, what Amy alluded to is gap insurance, title insurance companies are on board. Again, not to get into any details, that has certain limitations, not limitations on closing, it's a limitation on what needs to be done to accomplish that. So. Certainly, uh, we've covered, the, the industry has covered every eventuality to make sure your deals end up uh, being consummated on, 
somehow, whether it's literally on record or figuratively on record. Yeah, I think it's important to know what you said also is that, you know, the um, registries are open for this e-recording. We are experiencing some delays. I'm not sure if you are too yet, but yeah. getting our title exams done, um, that is slowing us down because, you know, the the, regist uh, the title examiners can't get into the registry all the time to do the work they need to do to finish the title exams. That's sort of an ancillary piece, but of course an incredibly important piece to um, getting us to closing. So we're starting to see them be uh, a little hand-tied on that one and it's slowing them down. So we're waiting to see how that plays out, but again, we're staying in touch with them. Um, again, it's, it's everybody's safety here and we all hope this legislation passes. I will say, you know, on the other coin of it, you know, we don't want, we want it to be a temporary order. We don't want this to be something long-term as I can see that it's, uh, is agreeing with me uh, wholeheartedly. You know, um, if, you know, as other states do, they, you know, don't use attorneys and they just use these remote notaries. So what we're really looking for in this legislation and what's important is that it's gonna be A, a temporary measure and B, more like FaceTime or, or Zoom or something like that versus, you know, one of these online notary companies, uh, which would change the whole industry, presumably down the road. So we're walking a little bit of a fine line there, I think, uh, right, yes? So we yes, wanna absolutely. Be, uh, we absolutely. wanna be careful what we, what, we wanna be careful what we wish for on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, um, you know, I think the one thing that is nice to see that it seems that everyone's trying to collaborate and get to the same, you know, get to the closing table basically. And it's nice to see that all the different parts of the transaction are working together.